Thursday, February the 10th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Canadian truckers' costly protests and Pelosi's stock trading flip-flop. First, the world in brief. Car makers began to feel the heat from protests that have spread across Canada as a blockade by lorry drivers severed important supply lines across the US-Canada border. Ford, Honda and Toyota have all been forced to halt production in some of their Canadian plants. The truckers are revolting against the requirement that they be vaccinated against COVID-19. Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of America's House of Representatives, said she would accept a ban on stock trading by lawmakers if it were also applied to the judicial branch. Ms Pelosi has long been opposed to such restrictions. The members of Congress are coming to see them as a way to appeal to disillusioned voters. Deciding which investments to ban and whether rules should apply to lawmakers' families remain sticking points. Disney's revenue hit $21.8 billion during the past quarter, 34% up on a year ago, as punters flocked back to its theme parks. Earnings per share more than tripled, far exceeding forecasts. After recording a loss last year, the division that runs its parks and experiences reported operating income of $2.5 billion. Meanwhile, Disney+, Plus, the firm's streaming service, gained an extra 11.8 million subscribers, bringing the total to about 130 million. A study by Airfinity, a life sciences data firm, found that only 65% of the 1 billion COVID-19 vaccines that have been donated around the world have been administered. The remaining jabs are assumed to be in storage or expired. Countries have collectively committed to donate around 3 billion doses. Yet vaccine hesitancy and logistical problems have made it hard to get jabs into arms. Protests against a ban on Muslim students wearing the hijab in classrooms in Karnataka spread to other Indian states. Demonstrations in Karnataka have become increasingly vocal in the last month, culminating in schools and colleges in the region being closed for three days from Wednesday. The government says it is waiting for a verdict from Karnataka's High Court before making any decisions. In Madagascar, the death toll from Cyclone Batsurai, which made landfall at the weekend, rose to 92. Some 91,000 people lost their homes or suffered damage to them. Dozens of aid workers have arrived from France and Germany. Parts of the island were already on the brink of famine. The cyclone has only made the situation worse. Over 20 years after the initial case was filed, the International Court of Justice ruled that Uganda must pay $325 million in compensation to Congo for its violent conduct in a bloody conflict between the two, lasting from 1998 to 2003. Up to 500,000 people were displaced by the war. Congo had originally demanded $11 billion. Fact of the day, 37%, the share of the world's murders that occurred in Latin America in 2018 which at the time was home to only 8% of the global population. And correction. 
In Monday's edition, we said that an intermediate-range ballistic missile tested by North Korea was probably capable of reaching continental America. That is not the case. At most, it could travel 4,500 kilometers, reaching Guam. Sorry. And now, here's today's agenda. Democracy in the doldrums. Like the first year of the pandemic, 2021 showed the fragile state of global democracy. There was an unprecedented withdrawal of civil liberties last year. Emergency powers were normalised in developed democracies, as well as authoritarian regimes. According to the Democracy Index, an annual snapshot published by the Economist's sister company, EIU, the average global score fell from 5.37 out of 10 in 2020 to 5.28. Less than half of the world's population now live in a democracy. More than a third live under authoritarian rule. This year's index also integrates China's claim that it has a superior governance system to Western democracies. Despite such boasts, China is classified as a quote, authoritarian regime, with a score of 2.21, down from 2.97 in 2006. Perhaps unsurprisingly for a one-party state, it scored zero on quote, electoral process and pluralism. Despite China's economic ascent, civil liberties remain a distant dream. Mexico's new central bank governor Economists will be watching Mexico's central bank closely when its monetary policy committee meets on Thursday. They will want clues as to how Victoria Rodriguez, Benico's first female governor, will run the bank. She took charge on January 1st. Critics fret that the former finance ministry official has limited experience in monetary policy. She is also close to Mexico's president, Andreas Manuel López Obrador, who has shown a distaste for independent institutions. The committee faces a tricky decision. Inflation is high in Mexico, running at over 7%, which suggests that the bank should boost interest rates. But the economy has shrunk for the past two quarters, which strengthens arguments against raising them. It is not yet clear if Miss Rodriguez will be more tolerant of inflation than was her predecessor. But few think she will rock the boat. Analysts predict that Banico will raise interest rates by 0.5 percentage points, as it has done at previous meetings. Credit Suisse struggles on. Credit Suisse will report annual results for 2021 on Thursday. It is a particularly trying moment for the 166-year-old Swiss bank. It warned in January that a charge of roughly 500 million Swiss francs, $540 million, mostly related to litigation costs in its investment banking business, is likely to wipe out its fourth quarter profits. That warning was the latest in a series of seemingly never-ending blows. Last month, Antonio Horta Osario, the bank's chairman, stepped down after internal reviews found he had breached quarantine rules in England and Switzerland and made excessive use of the firm's jet. In March last year, 
it was hit with multi-billion franc losses after the collapse of Greensill Capital and Archigo's Capital Management, two important clients. This week, Credit Suisse faced criminal charges in a case involving millions of euros, alleging the laundering of drug money for the Bulgarian Mafia. Switzerland's national treasure may be losing its sheen. Elections in India's Biggest State Over the next month, Indians in five states, representing more than a fifth of the country's electorate, will vote in regional elections. Most of the attention will be on Uttar Pradesh, India's most populous state, and with good reason. Voting starts on Thursday, and the results will reveal much about the country's political mood. Five years ago, the Bharatiya Janata Party's sweeping victory there was a precursor to its dominant performance in national elections. The BJP is seeking re-election against the backdrop of COVID-induced misery, agrarian unrest and high unemployment, in addition to the issues of caste and crime that invariably dominate politics in Uttar Pradesh. Supported by Narendra Modi, the Prime Minister, Yogi Adityanath, the state's incumbent Chief Minister, and a hardline Hindu nationalist, is adopting a tried and tested approach to secure votes. He has splurged on grand development projects and continued his anti-Muslim rhetoric. The opposition, fragmented and under-resourced, has made little headway. Most opinion polls predict another BJP victory. Berlinal versus Omicron Last year, the International Berlin Film Festival, Berlinal, was split in two by COVID-19 lockdown. Films were screened online for critics in March, with an open-air event for ordinary visitors in June. This year's festival, which begins on Thursday, will be a little more like old times. François Ozon's Peter von Kant is up first. It reimagines Rainer Werner Fassbinder's film from 1972, the Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant, a love triangle of three women filmed in a single room. It is one of 18 entries competing for the Golden Bear, the festival's top prize. Also in the mix is Rabie Kernaz versus George W. Bush, which tells the story of a Turkish housewife in Bremen, Germany, who campaigned for years to get her son released from Guantanamo Bay, an American prison camp. Meanwhile, Omicron cases in Berlin are still rising, these premieres, like all other screenings, will be held with cinemas half full. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Alice Hegan Rice, who died on this day in 1942. Solitude, if rightly used, becomes not only a privilege, but a necessity. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.